Hello, and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. I'm Amir. And today, we are going to talk about Ruby Game Dev. I'm really excited about this, because you guys know that I do the Coding with Chris on Tuesdays uh, live, and that's what I'm doing, is, is Ruby Game Dev with Dragon Ruby. So I'm really excited to talk to Amir. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Um, so we're going we're gonna to have a lot of fun chatting today. Uh, but before we get started, we do our week in review. So, Kristen, how was your week? Super busy, like usual, and struggling to come up with, gee, what can I talk about? Well, I'll talk about the most recent frustration that happened right before I, I got on for the show. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know how a lot of people use Ruby version managers or JavaScript version manager or node version managers for, you know, different projects. A lot of times you use them in development and you can use them on the server as well. So like I personally, if I set up servers to run Rails, I'm using uh, RBMV, uh, RBENV to determine what Ruby version is running on the server. Now, I also have uh, used Elixir so, and Phoenix. So that's the, Phoenix is the web framework for Elixir. And of course, RBM doesn't work in that environment, but there's this tool called ASDF. ASDF. So someone very, yeah, very cleverly said ASDF, ASDF, you know, like the keys on the keyboard. And with that, you can specify your early, it does more than just one language. So it does Erlang and Elixir and Node.js. So you can specify all those versions in ASDF and it works similarly. Well, I had another project that was using locally NVM, uh, so the Node version manager for managing stuff. So I said, okay, I'll use this on the server. So far, no bueno, <laughs> because it works differently than RVM than ASDF does. Like you can specify a file in the root directory of what you're working on. And once you deploy it, that tool looks for the file to determine the version. So like you can do Ruby hyphen version for RVM. Well, even though they have a file that looks like it might work similarly called NVMRC, if you change that file, it doesn't change the version. You literally have to run a command after that to change the version. And I think what it's doing behind the scenes from, again, I just got on the call after dealing with <laughs> some of this, is that it's using environmental variables to set what the current version is. So that makes oh. it a lot more difficult to deal with, or at least definitely you have to handle it in a different way on a server. So yeah. I'm just like, uh, so <laughs> at this oh, point wow. I'm kind of like, should we just install the version or should we use ASDF? So anyway, so a little bit of a struggle with that. So if you plan on using NVM the way you use other things, be forewarned. Yeah. Anyway, so nice. that's something I had, I've been dealing with. What about you, Chris? Um, I got, I got uh, our first steps into the GraphQL at work deployed uh, yesterday, so that's good. Yay. Um, that's all working well, and it was actually far easier to implement than I had anticipated and was far more efficient than um, the REST APIs. So um, I was really happy with the outcome of that, that little experiment. Um, we dropped a, um, one of our APIs, our internal API calls, from about 20 seconds with the rest to down to about one second with the GraphQL uh, because they were able to limit what they were pulling um, and didn't yeah. have to pull all the stuff. So that was, that was a huge win. Um, also made some good progress on, on coding with Chris on the cave Lords project. Uh, got some where I'm working with the, the dragon Ruby um, got, bunch of tests working got the view stuff extracted from deep in the classes and out to um the top top level stuff so that we're not trying to do views 
rendering things all in the in the fun logic um which is nice so uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff going on there having more and more fun with that project the more i i'm digging into it so um it, it's just right up my alley ruby and and games and what's what's better than that um how about you amir how was your week uh so week um two main uh two main things that i'll call it studying because because uh, i can i can use that word uh i did i did some studying on assassin's creed unity and and returnal so those were my those were my two projects that uh you know i just want to see how they play make sure make sure i understand it because i have to do game dev and it's got to be a tax deduction so make documents that, <laughs> that i've done the studying against those but uh i ended up finally beating returnal and uh that's a really difficult game oh, i can <laughs> imagine hard. it's it was brutal it was brutal um but it was beautiful the narrative was like really nice they did a good job of like it's a roguelike so it's completely random random generated but they Love actually that. have a they have a storyline a narrative a narrative storyline and a narrative thread that's continuous so the way they kind of like merge those things together with how do you take random generate levels but have a, a sequential like or a linear story they did a really good job with that and i think it was super unique uh, with respect to it so really happy about that just it was a great game i wasn't awesome. playing it twice though you get it once <laughs> and you're like I'm, I'm done thank you <laughs> yeah that's that's too exhausting to do it it's multiple brutal. times yeah it was brutal uh, man um and and it must just suck to have to play games for tax deductions too so so so, so <laughs> difficult oh man i'm now i'm now i'm all jealous um uh, but anyway we really appreciate you being here and taking time to to come join us um and chat we are grateful for you being here too feel free to chime in ask questions say hi um we will we will pay attention to you i promise um but Anyway, I'm going to I'm going to ask you all the the questions that I'm sure you've never ever heard before. Um First time. yeah. <laughs> and and dig into this. But there are some things that I'm curious about and I haven't been able to find answers to them, so I figured you know, let's just go direct to the source. Um but the the first obvious thing is there's Unity out there which is like the primary intro to game dev environment. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is, you know, if somebody was interested in Ruby game dev, there's Gosu. Um, oh, am I too loud, Marco? I can fix that. Um, let me see. How's my mic? How's my mic volume now? Oh, that's a little better. Thank you. A little better. Yeah. Uh, Levi. All right. Hey, Levi. Welcome. All right. Chat, welcome. Uh, let us know if one of us needs adjusting. I can make those adjustments. Um, but anyway, so you know, if you're looking at Ruby game dev, you look it up, and the and the 800 pound gorilla there is Gosu. So, um, you know, those things were there, pretty established. Why Dragon Ruby? Why Dragon Ruby? Yep, it's a great question. So, um, with respect to Unity versus uh, versus anything else, let's just let's just say that. Um, for me, it came down to uh, it came down to a focus of indie game devs and kind of my entire my entire journey as like a solo dev with some collaborations with composers or or, or whatnot. And in that, it's a interest it's a really interesting problem domain when you think about what does a game engine look like for an indie game dev for a small team, not a, not a AAA studio, but three or four guys that are sorry people that want to build something and and release it and you know hopefully hopefully make some sustainable income and uh unity doesn't provide that it just it, it doesn't um you think about uh, cross-platform needs i want something that's cross-platform and just works no no platform specific stuff because i don't have the resource i don't have the capital i'm one guy you know i don't have yeah. i can't throw money at the problem and i can't throw people at the problem so it's got to work and uh, I can't spend the time to uh, to to deal with deal with a lot of these uh, issues that that come with uh, engines that aren't specifically tuned to say cross-platform de de deployment on current current day and age platforms. How do we how do we streamline streamline that? 
So a couple of things that we streamline, you get uh, you get a 16 by nine aspect ratio by default, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's 720p because you need 720p for the Nintendo Switch and handheld mode, and it scales up to uh, scales up to I think we have up to 4K right now. So it handles the auto scaling, and you it's something you don't have to worry about. You don't you have the resolution 16 by 91. Sorry, but that's kind of <laughs> you know what you start with, and then the publishing process and the deployment process are all in that same same air and facet. I don't have the time to try to figure out how to do cross, you know, cross comp compilation. It just mm -hmm. has to work. And so um, that's one of the that's one of the key differentiators. Um, another thing is that we wanted to tune it to 2D games. Uh, I think 3D games is possible for a team, a, a small team. You, you got to have the experience though. It's a big ask. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's a lot of work. So um, there's there's a lot of challenges uh, challenges there. And then with respect to Gosu, uh, I I have to be able to release pl platform, uh, PC, Mac, Linux, console, uh, specifically the Nintendo Switch, and and web also. So mm -hmm. I have to be able to release to those platforms. And if I can't do that, then I'm I'm SOL with, with respect to engines. And so Gosu uh, Gosu is primarily C Ruby, and while you can say that C Ruby runs on PC, Mac, Linux can't say it runs on console because mm -hmm. the you don't have access to the file system like you do on on PC Mac Linux. So C Ruby assumes that you're running on an operating system that has standard lib. And mm -hmm. you might not have that. You might not have that where you're deploying. So we needed a we need to create a um, kind of like a quasi embedded environment that lets us abstract out the external uh, external dependencies and and swap them out within the runtime. And to tease that out of C Ruby, it was just, it's it's difficult. It was difficult. Okay. It was really really tough to do. But that yeah. makes. Did you yeah. try doing anything in Gosu, and that's where you encountered these issues, or you never even tr tried? I'm just curious. I'm I'm familiar with Go, uh, Gosu and uh, the the APIs that are that are that are there. I think they're very standard APIs with what you would expect from a game engine. And um, from that perspective, it was, and I and I watched uh, quite a few of the videos that were out there. Uh, there was a specific topic I think was given at RubyConf, where I think one of the main developers gave us gave at RubyConf, and I enjoyed enjoyed the facets of Ruby. Um, I didn't enjoy that having to stop and restart Gosu every time, and that was one thing that you know I wanted to make sure that feedback loop uh, was was really really uh, experimental, nice, live. And um, uh, another another facet was that a lot of what I see with Unity, Goshu, uh, Godot, they have very con very consistent concepts as far as how games be. You have a sprite object, you have a scene hierarchy, you have an ECS domain, and you know event eventing system. And I wanted to I wanted to say, well, that is a way of thinking about things, but is there is there a different is there a different lens that you can see game dev through maybe something more data oriented? And um, that's kind of that's kind of the shape that that uh, Dragon Ruby took. And for, given those passes, like the uh, cross-platform aspect to it, and then trying to bend something that already has an opinion to my will, it was just it, it might as well you know might as well start from scratch from that perspective. Right. Yep. So what was it about? So Dragon Ruby is built on M Ruby, mm -hmm. um, which uh, one of the things that I think Creston asked me a while ago is what does MRuby stand for? What's the M for? I have no idea. Yep. What is that Embedded. For? Oh, there you go. Embedded Ruby. Yep. All right. And and that's exactly that's exactly it. We need to go cross platform. So we, we needed a Ruby runtime and machinery that can be independent and has no assumptions on the OS that it's running on. Right. Yep. All right. Um now, so that's so that's all about kind of Dragon Ruby in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. I want to learn a little bit about Amir in a nutshell. So, were you a game dev that went Ruby or a Ruby dev that went game? I, yeah, that interesting. I'm a .NET dev that went Ruby and game at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so in 2013, I, I, I took a, a sabbatical and um, I picked up a. a I got rid of, I had a PC, I got rid of the PC, like I sold everything, got a Mac, 
instead of a PC. And I'm in Mac OS going, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I, I even had a Windows phone. Like I had a, I had the Lumia 880 or whatever. And I, I was like, I'm going to get an iPhone. Um, so, so I started off and I was like, I'm, I'm going to build an iPhone app. And um, it was Objective-C at the time. I, and I was, it was unfortunate that I didn't appreciate Objective-C for the language that it is coming from C-sharp. Um, but because of, because of that option, I was like, I don't want to build an iOS app in Objective-C. It's just painful. And I knew Ruby because I did build automation for .NET projects using Ruby. And there was a, there was a, um, a, a software out there called RubyMotion that allows you to build native iOS apps using Ruby. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that and and, and uh, port port this game that I found uh, found on the internet called a darkroom into that language. So I emailed Michael. He's the original developer of the game. I said, took a sabbatical. I'm gonna port this into iOS um, and do do my own like adaptation of it and polish it up and kind of make my own. You wanna you wanna go halvesies on it? He's like, yeah, go for it. And so we we went halvesies on it and I I built. I built it with Ruby and uh, Ruby Motion for iOS, and that was my first first commercial game. Nice. Yep. And I released that. It it got like thirty five dollars, thirty five downloads the first day it released, which was great, I guess. After seven months of work, probably not so great. But then um, <laughs> by by uh, I think it was like yeah April of twenty fourteen. It, uh, it it hit the number one spot in the app store, so it went viral for some reason. Nice. Hit the numbers. Hit the number one spot. Uh, it was getting twenty about twenty thousand downloads a day for for about yeah almost a month, and then after that it was getting a thousand downloads. Like the long tail was re- really good, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I guess I can keep doing this game dev stuff. And so then I made the pre sequel to to Darkroom. Uh, built another uh, built another property. Um, ended up having to port, uh, needing to port a dark room over to the Nintendo Switch, and that's why I dealt with the problem of like, okay, well, I have this Ruby code base, and I had three three games, four games, all written in Ruby. I think it's totaled like over seventy six thousand lines of Ruby at this point. Thanks. And yeah, so it's like, how do I, how do I continue this without having to, you know, usurp everything and use C or or something else and uh, the answer is apparently, yeah, just build a runtime and an engine to to continue using uh, using the seventy six thousand lines that we wrote. And I think the engine's at twenty seven thousand lines of C code and another. We're we're almost at the seventy thousand at this point. Wow. <laughs> but um, but um, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the evolution where it just happenstance to use Ruby for iOS development because it's a beautiful language. And reached some success, and then it was a question of, well, I don't want to rewrite the code, so how do I, how do I ad- adapt and, and move to these other spectrums? So after the switch happened, because we used MRuby, WebAssembly became a perfect target, and because because we used em- embedded Ruby, you get PC, Mac, and Linux, which no one cared about until the Steam Deck. Right. Now everyone cares about Linux, and we we just work. We work on Linux. It just it just worked on there. So. It was it was a good, good set of small small little serendipitous events that that led to this. Yeah, and and I was really happy to find this because I've always done my Ruby development in Linux. I prefer a Linux mm-hmm. environment to dev in. And but if you want to do game dev, you know you were going to Unity, which is you're running it in Windows. By golly, yeah. pretty much. I mean. You know, there's ways to cheat. It doesn't it, but, work. Don't yeah. worry. It, it, it doesn't work, and it doesn't ne- work nearly as well in the yeah. other platforms. It just doesn't. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was really happy to find to, when I I just kind of looked at this game stuff, game development stuff in Ruby as a lark, and then I found out, you know, about Gosu, and then I started talking to people, and they said, "Hey, check out Dragon Ruby," and you know, then I started talking to you. I was like, "Oh, this is this is like a dream come true. <laughs> game dev and Ruby in one place. That's." How did you like Linux? the install process? Yeah, copy a file. Loved it. <laughs> Unzip, double click. Yeah. Yeah. It's running. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I, the benefits of the zero dependencies. Yep. Right. And I, I actually used because I ha- already had a project set up and I was getting into Gosu, and then I started talking to you, and um, you were kind enough to to give us a license for the um, the mm-hmm. um, project, and 
I said, okay, I've got all this stu structure already here. And I looked at the unzip and I said, I don't want to start a new structure. Can I just port this over? And really it was copy the, the executable and make a, a couple of files in there with a main RB and off we go. Ta-da. You know, it needed a font directory, I think. And that was it. Um, so yeah. it was, it was super easy to get going. And then I just yeah, alias aliased my ZSH um, so that my RC so that I could put DR instead of having to type all the dot slash dragon ruby stuff and you know voila the the other interesting thing is that the binary and the runtime are designed to be committed with your source control mm -hmm. so uh, the biggest reason for that is that I, they have a shelf life like your games have a, a very large shelf life so you want to make sure that if you have to update it or like port it for the next you know version of Nintendo Switch 2 that you're just able to double click exactly the the version that you have with all the docs right there and it'll just work and it doesn't matter you don't have to upgrade and pray that nothing breaks you know exactly what version you're working with and you can you can continue to develop fix a bug and re-release and things like that so the binary itself is like i think it's eight megabytes on mac because we include both the x86 and the the m1 uh architecture in a single binary but it's about it's about 4.7 megabytes for for the entire entire thing so you're you can commit the entire thing to source control yeah it's it's really small i was i was mm -hmm. honestly very impressed with how small that was um cuz the you know the whole i mean cuz i guess it's it's basically a runtime engine yeah right so um getting it that small was for game dev engine was pretty impressive i thought um, so since we're talking about this, um, I want to take a look at um, the site. So this is dragonruby.org. If you're interested in learning more about Dragon Ruby, this is where you want to go. Um, uh, you guys also do Ruby Motion stuff. Yeah. I don't know anything. Yeah, I ended about up acquiring that, the company. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I uh, used the product, and then I was like, "All right, let's acquire it, and then continue continue down this road." Yep. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, there's lots of lots of good stuff here. Um, there's also they recently had a uh, the first Dragon Ruby zine uh, by Brad Chalupa, I think. Um, I really enjoyed this. So, if you guys are interested at all in doing Dragon Ruby, I would highly recommend checking this out. And until uh, until the weekend, you said. Yeah, through um, the weekend. Through the weekend. Um, Amir was kind enough to give us a uh, free license so you guys can go to this um, address yep. and get a free license of Dragon Ruby. Try it out, play with it yourself, and have your very own uh, Dragon Ruby license. Um, yeah, and there's no there's no limits, no royalties or anything. You can use it for commercial purposes. It's a life. It, this is perpetually updated. I think we're on 128 updates. Nice round number. <laughs> so yeah, we've been, it's been, we just celebrated our three year anniversary. So we've been, we've been wow. at it for a while now. Yeah. But yeah. Awesome. So use it for commercial pro projects. There's no, there's no restrictions. Right. The other thing that I want to say too, is if you get into Dragon Ruby, make very, very sure that you go uh, hang out on their discord. It is one of by far the best discord communities I've ever been involved in. Um, I got, you know, when we started this this project, I wanted to have noise maps and stuff, and and there was no Perlin noise implementation in Dragon Ruby that I could find. So I started asking about it, and a couple of people on on the thing said, "Hey, let's just do it." So I got to work with some folks on there and and gen up a, a Perlin noise library for Dragon Ruby. Um, I think Levi, I think you were one of the ones that was helping us with that. Um, in the chat. So, uh, he was doing a lot of the, um, uh, performance optimizations and mm -hmm. teaching me a lot about, uh, yeah, when you're doing game dev, you have to think a lot more about performance than if you're doing web dev. Yes. So here's some tricks. You have 16, you have 16 milliseconds. Good luck. Yeah. That's, that's how much, that's how much of a time slice you have it. Yeah. It's right. So it can be it's, a challenge at times. Yeah. It's an interesting learning thing. Um, yeah, and D, D did a lot of the legwork, um, and I just kind of, I was mostly in there to 
gripe and complain and and do kick the tires. <laughs> yeah, right. and kick and the do tires a little bit it, yeah. of organization things for how I wanted it running in my project. But um, but it was it was a really good experience to to be in that community. Um, so if you're going to do game dev of any kind, but in particular Dragon Ruby, I would get involved in that Discord community. They're fabulous people over there, and they've been super helpful. Um, they're awesome. They really yeah. are. I, I've, really, I've really enjoyed it. And in fact, you know, I went, I posted about this show an hour ago, mm-hmm. and they were like, hey, put this up in the in the main chat and stuff. So they're all on board with with community stuff, which is great. Um, so the Dragon Ruby really is geared towards 2D game development, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that a function of the Ruby language itself? Because what you've always heard about Ruby is, oh, you can't do game development in it because it's an interpreted language, so it's too slow to do. Da, 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 yeah. 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 Or or is the the kind of 2D focus more to do with the how you're structuring the interpreter and the, the embedded Ruby and stuff? That's a good question. Um, for me, I, honestly, it, was, it, it started off 2D because that's what I have the most experience with, right? Um, you, you, I think I've been yeah, game dev for nine, nine years, going on to 10 years now, and you gain a lot of battle scars. You know what works, what doesn't, uh, the good and the bad of, of everything out there. And I knew I knew the 2D domain really well, and um, uh, Ryan Gordon, he's he's a you know another another partner. Um, he he's one of the core contributors on LibSDL, which is our uh, which is our primary dependency and how we interop with like OS level things, and uh, SDL is eff- effectively a, a 2D 2D machinery too. So we we kind of went 2D makes sense from an experience standpoint, uh, with targeting indies and potentially smaller teams. 2D is more approachable, and that's that's kind of that's kind of why we're we're at 2D, and uh, in that same regard, the the interest in 3D is what makes me go. I want to do 3D now because I get the, <laughs> I got the Oculus and I'm like this this thing is awesome, and it's like I want to build a game for this thing. However stupid, I'm going to figure it out. And so then that's what's pushing uh, pushing the envelope to to uh, get it into the 3D realm. And then Alex Alex Anisov, um, he's he's incredibly like just driven and passionate about LLVM mm-hmm. and uh, the c- compiler tool chain, which is, which is, it, it pretty much, everything pretty much compiles using Clang. You know, Chrome, Chrome uses Clang. I think um, a lot of the Windows, uh, a lot of their baseline compilers are starting to move over to Clang instead of VS, uh, Visual Studio, uh, Visual Studio C++. So um, there's, a, there's a significant investment that we're making in, in having that expertise um, inside of Dragon Ruby. So the evolution of Ruby is is we're trying to evolve Ruby to be an AOT AOT compiled binary, and the premise around that is to use Clang and and its capabilities to to make it to take the Ruby to that next level. And um, with with respect to performance, Ruby is a language. A runtime is an implementation of that language. Um, so an example is like you've got dotnet core which is c sharp and you have unity and there's a there's a sharp js back from 2011 which which one do you think they have the same execution profile no way one of them's written in javascript like it's going to be it's going to be way way slower than uh than the dotnet core which is highly optimized and built on on top of lvm and unity is in the middle which is built on mono so their their runtime's a little different so when we talk about Ruby, is Ruby slow? Well, it depends on the runtime, and we want to we want to tune uh, Dragon Ruby and that's in that specific runtime to be performant for for games, and by extension, it'll be performant for other things. Um, we're we're already we can already render more more sprites on the screen than Unity, and our collision uh, our many to many collision detection is I think two to three hundred times faster than Unity. We we can do fifteen hundred sprites on my machine at uh, 45 FPS, you get one in the in, in the in Unity, so that's wow. not great. But um, <laughs> it's a combination. It's a combination of framework, runtime optimization, being against the metal. But uh, we're 
we we are up there with our performance. Nowhere near yeah. as fast as Lua, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but can anybody? Lua NC is. <laughs> yeah. Lua NC, mean, it's like it, it's tough. That's a high bar. Um, it's it's a high bar. But but to be fair, how 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 often do you need to be that fast? I mean, unless you're doing, yeah. you know, unless you're making Assassin's Creed in 4K. Exactly. You know, it's you can get away with some some cheats on the lower end of that. Um, and we have to escape hash. You can always make a C extension. It's it's one of the it's the higher license tiers. But if you mm-hmm. need if you need that against the metal performance, you can make a C extension for those things. But um, but we're, I, I want to make a VR game. <laughs> I'm going to make a <laughs> VR game. It's going to happen. And and so uh, that that's gonna that pushes that will continue to push the the envelope of what we can do. Right. So let's talk a little bit about MRuby because. It's you know as I'm as I'm developing live, um, it's there's there's some subtle differences between you know regular Ruby and MRuby, and they can get um, a little a little goofy. I got <laughs> I got a little frustrated uh, Tuesday there's because subtle I was, nuances. Yeah. yeah, because I was used to doing things a certain way in Ruby, and I you know I did it and I was running the R spec and it was all working in R spec, and then I ran the DR and it blew up, and I was like, what the hell? That's cool. <laughs> and it's and it turns out that you know in this case it was a simple thing of mruby doesn't support delegate um like ruby does at least not the syntax i'm used to whether it does or not i'm i'm not sure but um so what are if somebody's coming to ruby and they want to try this out um what are some things that you can tell them about mruby or some places that they can go and see um all right you're going to have to make these kind of adjustments when you're coding in dragon ruby yeah so um as far as mruby we we are iso compliant with the mruby spec we just build on top of that so there is mruby.org and then there's dedicated documentation for mruby and the core uh, the core um uh, libraries the core libs that are in there Mm -hmm. um so you can use use that mostly anything that's ios or OS specific, like, or dealing with IO, like file reading network. At that point, you want to defer to uh, the Dragon Ruby documentation. And to your point, most of the time it works. Most of the time Ruby and MRuby work, but there are like really subtle API differences. Like um, mm-hmm. I think um, uh, Rand uh, doesn't, and MRuby doesn't take a range for, uh, uh, for maximum minimum values. So if you might be doing like Rand 1.10 in Ruby, but you come over to MRuby and it explodes and you're just like, great, how do yeah. I do this? And, and for those, for those facets, those incompatibilities will be there. Usually, you, usually it's easy to like redefine the function and mm-hmm. add that capability. Um, there, there, if I hear it enough and I hear enough feedback, like we really need this, then I think about, okay, how can we bring it into the runtime and not just a simple workaround patch, but something that's native uh, to yeah. to uh, at the C layer, and that's that's kind of the facets and evolution that you're you're kind of you're kind of dealing with. Um, with respect to like testing and things like that, uh, it's testing video games is a, is very different, primarily because you're testing something that's running at sixty frames a second. Yeah. So how do you how do you test a video game? Um, so there's a there's something in Dragon Review is called a, it actually has replay capability. I don't know if you've seen that. But yeah. you can actually have a replay and then run the replay, and it seeds with a very specific RNG also. So if you have an RNG generated map suddenly, and you want to try to do a playthrough of it, you've you've got to replay a reliable way to follow through the same map. And and we have a lightweight testing testing layer. It's kind of more of like a mini test where mm-hmm. it's just convention based, and that stuff is open source. So we can kind of work on it and expand on it together. Um, I think that's part of the community is that you get the feedback that you're testing thing is not that great. So, okay, well, what are you looking for? How can we make it better? Here's the touch points. If you want to try to kick, kick the tires on or, or work on it, we've got to do it on, on our list, but that's kind of how we're trying to compensate. And the Discord community is that, that uh, central, central hub where, where you get, where you get that kind of uh, interaction. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I fully accept the fact that I'm trying to do something strange. I, I guess I'm a masochist or something because I'm I'm wanting to do R spec because I'm an R spec lover, 
um, and mm. Dragon Ruby and get those things to coexist. And I, it, the way I'm doing it is I'm R-specking my classes, my logic stuff, and mm. I'm leaving the rendering and, and gameplay stuff in a different area. So um, I'll post a link. This one, uh, there's a, we've got a, um, someone, uh, one of our community members did a, did a roguelike tutorial, completely unit tested, um, non-trivial amount of code. You might want to take a look at that tutorial and, uh, or I mean, look at that repo and just get a feel for, for how, uh, how Chris ended up using the testing facilities in Dragon Ruby. Um, cool. Yeah, might give you some inspiration, but I, I posted a link there. Awesome. Yeah, and there's and and this is an example of something that I really love about this community in the Discord is that people are like, you go in and ask a question, and you immediately get like five or six people saying, "Here's what I think. Here's how you do it. Here's a link to this thing," and that's really helpful um, because it is, you know, it's it's a bit of a subtle difference, and it's a a different way of thinking about coding when you're coming from a web development mindset to a game development mindset. Yeah, it's artistic. Right. There's right. no hard, fast rules. So it's right. like this kind of work for me, this kind. Yeah. And and the the coding patterns are different, too, uh, because in in web dev, I mean, you, you you want it to be performant, but you don't have to think as much about performance as you do when you switch over to game dev. And so you end up with, yeah, I could refactor this, but that's a problem in the game dev. Right. So readability mm -hmm. sometimes has to take kind of a back seat. Um, to performance there, which is an interesting, interesting thing yeah. that I'm learning. And there's some, in, there's some like really, really weird complexities or insights that you get with long running state. Cause, cause in web dev, you have a controller, it's initialized, runs through it. And then your view, your view has like member variables or IVARs that you can render to in an ERB file. And that's fine. But in game dev, you've got this long running process. And you're like, I have a bug, but the sort the root of the bug might have happened, you know, 300 frames earlier, and, and it's just it's a it's a different way of of reasoning about reasoning about a system, and a long running state is one of those things, and it's got to be persisted. Like if you want to save a game, so how do you work in an environment that's artistic, has long running state that requires persistence and must be fast? Yeah. It's just a different animal. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it, it, there was a good example of that that came up in my stuff, and I had to ask about it in Discord because I was very confused because of the mindset of that you know request response cycle that I'm used to, and that is you know there's a I do a tick zero setup um, for my stuff, which is generating some Perlin noise maps and and right now putting solids in, but we'll convert it to sprites at some point, but for visualization, and you know it it. I'm putting like 200 plus thousand cells solids up in the screen and it worked really well, but then it's just sitting there. So it's not doing anything. And I started getting these messages about, Hey, your frame rate is dropping, but you know, it's like yeah. five, 10 seconds after this thing is rendered. And I'm like, why am I getting this now? What I'm not doing anything, but it's, it's because it's not just that instant request response cycle. There's right. more stuff happening. And you know, that was a, that was a big learning for me because that's not the way my brain is used to thinking about Ruby code. Yeah, and it's uh, uh, fibers are a really, a really interesting facet that I've yet to explore. But because with respect to performance, you're always going to hit a limit. Uh, like I don't care how fast your engine is, loading an Assassin's Creed map in a one-to-one -one scale of Paris is going gonna to take longer than 16 milliseconds. So yeah. you have to think about how how do I partition and make the, make it responsive throughout throughout this loading process or throughout the game dev process. It's a different way of thinking about things. And with fibers and the ability to like put it to sleep and do a little bit of the work and then on the next frame, pick it back up and do a little bit more work. You start thinking about, well, how can I, how can I spread the 200,000 values of compute over, over multiple frames and, you know, progressively enhance and all those kind of things. But uh, yeah, it's just a different way of thinking. Yeah. And, and I was, you know, on that same topic, I was really impressed because when I started this project and I'm thinking about, you know, all the stuff I've heard about Ruby and interpreted languages and you just can't do game dev because they're too slow. So I said, okay, well, let me push it with one of the, with a pretty expensive computational thing, which is generating per, large Perlin noise maps. 
actually three of them and you know add them together yeah so (laughs) holy crap yeah and what it turns out is that i can do that in dragon ruby in it takes Mm. i don't know eight seconds ish i was really impressed with that because that's a tremendous amount of stuff that I'm doing. And not only is it just computing the maps, the values, but it's actually creating all the solids and rendering them to the screen in that amount of time. So that's, you know, that is, that's performant. That's, that's not sluggish. That's not, Hey, you can't do Ruby because it's interpreted language. Right. So do you, we outperform unity. Like we've got, we're rendering more sprites and we're handling collisions faster. Than, than Unity does. And I'm sure there's places where Unity beats us out. But the fact that we can even say that, that we're, we can, we can generate, we can do two X sprites and 300 times the collisions. Right? That in itself is, is an accomplishment. So uh, I, I've, I don't have a worry, worry with that stuff anymore. I just, I just use it and it works and it's great. Yeah. So, and there's, you know, there, there's lots of things to learn about how to do game dev, but that not, I don't think the things I'm learning are specifically Ruby-esque things. They're game dev uh, idioms that that you have to understand, right? Yeah. Um, So uh, do you think, I know you guys behind the scenes are kind of working on the VR stuff now um, and Mm -hmm. and poking around with the 3D and the VR, which is really cool. I'm excited to see that. Um, But do you think that, Ruby could have a future in like a triple A game scenario. Could it do an Assassin's Creed thing or something like that? I think for 3D, I think for 3D games, um, specifically like desktop based 3D games and console, at going, going up against Unity is, is something that is doable. Going against, against Unreal is, is a whole different story because their stuff actually works. Like it's, it's legitimately, I mean, they eat their own dog food. I mean, you got Final Fantasy VII Remake built in that. You've got, um, what's the game? I can't believe I forgot the name of the game. Fortnite? Fortnite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Epic is using their own system to build to build games, and it is, it's impressive. It's just incredibly impressive. So saying that we can take that on is is probably a fool's errand, generally speaking. <laughs> right. Um, what what we're looking, what, what I want to see happen is, is especially for VR and 3D, is to lower the barrier to entry. Because when when we were kids, we saw a text-based game like Zork, and it's like, I can write stuff to a screen. Yeah. I can totally do that. And then you get into game dev, but, you know, kids these days, they see a 3D game, like, and they're like, I have no idea where to even begin. Like, right. how do you, how do you even address that? So I think... I think lowering that barrier and providing a means for someone to say, I know how to render a sprite in 2D, 2D world, and I can do it in 3D by providing a Z index. So I give it an X, Y, and Z, and suddenly the sprite is popping out. Mm-hmm. And now I can rotate a sprite in, in the Z direction. So now I have a cube. Oh, wait, there's a concept called you know, a 3D model that, that represents this cube that I'm drawing manually, and those kind of points of connectivity kind of, kind of exist there. So that's our primary primary goal with respect to 3D and VR experiences to create those fun environments, and then and then let people's imaginations and the collaboration we have with them figure out where that goes. Awesome. Well, I'm, that's the I'm, best thing you say, right? Yeah, I, I'm really happy to hear you say that honestly because I'm I'm big about educating people with with development and and passing on the knowledge that we have and and bringing up junior developers to to do cool things and, and keep this going. Um, so, and I like the way that you guys have structured dragon Ruby to, while you're trying to, um, you charge for the license and it's really inexpensive, I think, um, yeah. you know, cause you, you got to keep the lights on, but you've also been very generous where you've seen opportunities to allow people to teach with it or, or, mm-hmm or bring excitement with it and, and hopefully bring new devs in. So I'm, I'm really happy um, to have gotten involved in with a company that does that kind of thinking um, yeah. that, because that's what I'm, the whole reason I'm doing the, the live coding stuff is to have a repo where junior devs can practice 
doing PRs or playing with stuff and, you know, trying, mm -hmm. learning how to communicate and do OSS and stuff. So do you guys have, um, what do you do in the, besides the Discord, which is obviously a great learning place, do you do things where you purposefully try to teach game development um, to, to people? I think uh, there, there have been a few, I've done some like local workshops just in my local academic communities. And uh, I do uh, capstone projects with university, local university to help, help with that asset uh, facet to it. Um, it is, it is a bit more challenging to reach scale. That's, that's always the, the tricky part. Um, and, and the other, the other thing is that there's this like sweet spot where they, they're a kid is old enough to learn and retain some of the complexities of programming, but they're not too old to where being, being a teenager and, and being in high school and all those things and having those uh, courses available to you in high school end up replacing what that experimentation and point in time. So you've got maybe from year eight to year 13 to kind of capture and uh, get that magic. And it's hard to, it's hard for me. I haven't found a real good way to really laser focus in, into that at scale. Yeah. So that's been a challenge. And that's one of the reasons why we say, look, if you're a parent that's teaching your kids, you got 10 kids, I'll give you 11 licenses or 12 licenses. If you need them, just, just help, right? Help, yeah. help with that, uh, help with that, um, uh, that expansion. And I think other people in the community are doing different, like all the, all the books and the, the Dragon Ruby zines that's out and everyone tries to approach it based on their learning style and then seeing how that can be applied and given, given to other people. But yeah, we're figuring it out and it's people that care that kind of kind of push those initiatives and I'll support them as best I can. That's, that's what I try to do. Yeah. And, and I, I will say that it's been, it's been really joy, a joy for me talking to you behind the scenes and getting the help from you and saying, Hey, sure. Take a license and help me, you know, use that to teach. And that, that was, it was really nice to, to have that kind of support um, from somebody who, who's making a living doing this. Right. Yeah, um, operating in good faith, and that's why I said go in and put the binary in in your project. People can clone it, and they can run it. It's fine. It's yeah. it's okay. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's you know much appreciated, and and um, I'm I'm really looking forward to doing some more stuff. Maybe I can get you to come on to coding with Chris sometime and and help me Definitely. play around with the Dragon Ruby and do some pairing there. Yeah, uh, that would be that would be really fun. Get, did some actual hands-on keyboard kind of stuff. Um, Have because... you gone through like a release process, like actually doing a publisher of your game or anything yet? No, it's, it's, well, I wouldn't call it a game yet. It's generating a Perlin noise map at this point. It's very early on. So um, there's, there's not much to publish though. I, I would like to at some point look at that process and, and learn that process. Um, what's but... kind of your goal? Like what's, what's your, if everything goes perfect, what is, what is that end? end state look like to you um well the the kind of the game i have in mind is kind of a rim world-esque top-down colony sim lots of logic stuff um mm -hmm. in a in like a fantasy environment um but it's it the, the purpose of this thing is not to make a game it's to have a community place for people to learn and practice with OSS and, and, and Ruby dev and, and game dev and, and a place to just play with that stuff and practice PRs. And um, so that's really the purpose of it's that. something that's not boring, right? It's yeah. Like, yeah. Please, right. please, please send me a PR for, for this RuboCop fix in this unit test. It's like, I guess I can do that, but yeah. Can I, can I, I build a game instead? Right. I I'd much rather figure out, you know, how to put a sprite on the screen for you, yep. you know, and make something that looks cool. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I, Dragon Ruby was a great fit for me because it was easy to implement. I can give it to the people that that are cloning this down to play with it um, and they don't have to do a bunch of setup and crap, which was fantastic. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's a big to... hurdle. We don't yeah. realize how, how used to it we are. 
Well, you just install Docker, set this file, do this curl command, and you're up. And it's like, what? What happened? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, at work, I'm I'm 18 months into this job, and I still yesterday was setting up some stuff on my dev environment to get a certain deploy to work, and I, you know, I had to go through an or hour. We're trying to get NPM working. Right. Yeah. Like. Right. This stuff's supposed to make it easier, and it doesn't work. <laughs> right. Just let me clone the repo and hit the go button. Please. Come on. Yes. <laughs> No, I, uh, I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's good. It, it, it's good. And I try to be in good faith, right? You, yeah. You, and it, for some reason, it's really easy to do with Ruby devs. I think like Mina Swan and some of that, some of that facet just is intrinsic in the, in the community. And it's, it's just nice. Yeah, that has that is something I've found in the Ruby community since I, because I got into Ruby when, it, when Rails like 2.0 was coming out mm -hmm. and um the ruby community has always always been just extraordinarily gracious um and friendly and welcoming um there are other de dev communities that are very not that um and you know R ruby was ruby was very refreshing like that and it has never changed i mean it's still that way um yeah. and i think uh one thing i do a personal goal of mine is that I mean, Ruby's been around for a while, like C Ruby, especially 26, 27 years at this point. Um, and we've, we've kind of settled into a, a state of comf comfort and maturity, right? Mm -hmm. It's yep. really, it's a really mature language, specifically like Ruby on Rails. There's specific ways to do things. And you get that maturity and wisdom, which, which provides uh, quality, high quality craftsmanship of software, but you lose yep. the innovation, right? If you don't do it this way, then you're you're doing it wrong, and it doesn't let you have the opportunity to experiment. So I think uh, Ruby, uh, faster Ruby, is the the graciousness of the community. I think another thing is 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 the um, is the uh, what's it called the innovation, right? Mm -hmm. When Rails came out, it was it was the innovation, and we're kind of uh, stiffening in the innovation realm. So I'm like, Dragon Ruby is going to help us help you break out of that. You can have fun, you can make mistakes because it's a game. It's not. It's not, you know, some system that is going to, if it goes down, cost a million dollars. Just break things. Do it do it a different way and and have fun. Bring that innovation back. Right. So and, that's another another big goal that I have with the engine. Yeah, and, and that's that's a good point, you know, because I'm finding that with the, the stuff I'm doing. This I, I get to keep telling people, look, if you put a PR in that just completely bombs this whole thing, nobody cares. It, do, it, it just doesn't matter. So try. Try something, you know. Yeah, it's nobody's gonna die, okay. and I'm not gonna lose any money. So, because I'm not making any money yeah. on it, so what? You know, you can't hurt it. Go. Um. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm I'm really really excited about the the future for Dragon Ruby here. I, I think it seems to me like it's picking up a, a lot of traction, especially in the past year or so. Um. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm hoping to keep going with it. I'm. I will say, you know, chat, if you're out there and you're not already in the Dragon Ruby Discord, even if you're not planning on making games for a living, I would highly recommend getting into that Discord because the the general amount of programming knowledge that's in there is insane. Um, yeah, we've got some, uh, we've got very seasoned Ruby devs, and I, I'd, I'd bet you anything that if you're part of the discord and you you start contributing and getting those belt ranks uh having that little thing in there if a job opens up and they're like hey we need it you know we need someone at the intro level it's fine these are the network these are the connections that help you help you get in get into you know a specific role so much more than a resume and i think uh yeah just being around around people you never know who who ends up who ends up being in that in those rooms and there's there's a lot of talent in there yeah. Exceptional amount of Ruby experience in there. Yep. And, and I mean, you might could pick up your dream job of, hey, I get to develop games in Ruby for a living. You know, make that studio. It, it, the big studio that's going to do the game dev will be will come from this from this yep. um, from this discord. And and yeah, you're part of it. It's, it's a good thing. Yep. So. All right. Well, we're running up one time here and I have I you a know, question. Oh, go. go <laughs> questions. <man>. Questions. <laughs> So a little bit back, I didn't want to derail a conversation. You were talking about fibers. Mm -hmm. And one thing with regard to 
Ruby 3, when it was released, one of the things that I found even more interesting than fibers were Ractors mm -hmm. and how highly concurrent they are compared to everything else that I was looking at. And when I was testing stuff, I was like, holy crackerjack, it can scale linearly with CPU cores using Ractors. So I guess my question is, how closely do you follow the performance things that are being done in Ruby? And then how fast does mRuby follow things that are happening in, I don't know if you want to call it mainline Ruby or core Ruby? Yeah, CRuby. Yep. Okay. And so, yeah. So how does, how does that work? Like, so they're doing some things there. How does that filter down to mRuby? How do you choose to implement things or not in different ways in Dragon Ruby? Yep. And I think uh, the, so. The relationship with C Ruby and M Ruby, uh, M Ruby, it does lag behind um, C Ruby. Yeah, of so, course. Yeah. A, a example is like um, uh, M Ruby still doesn't have the the tokenized hashes where you can implicitly, instead of you have instead of saying a colon a with a variable named the letter a, a, you still have to type it out. But in in C Ruby, you can just put a and it creates the hash for you, uh, like. Uh, single line functions aren't aren't there i think some of the pattern pattern matching facilities aren't there um so those those like language specific features are gonna are gonna generally lag behind and um it's it's one of those things where i, I have uh, pattern matching is okay but it doesn't feel like a killer feature where i'm like i'm going to contribute a pr to to fix that but that ends up being an option is that the more people that are using mruby uh just just through giant ruby are positioning themselves to potentially uh, con contribute to mruby upstream are we there yet no we're not um but that lag exists and it's it's a necessary situation given the trade-offs um with respect to concurrency and reactor this is the tricky part when it comes to runtimes is that our execution runtime is different than than c rubies so um so what we have is essentially a a message pump and you get a time slice of 16 milliseconds to do whatever you want to do so the way our threading model works and we use it for our HTTP requests is that you issue an async uh, request and then you can check for completion on the re-entrance of your next thread. So tick happens again, you say, is the response finished? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to have to wait uh, another right. thing. And that's, that's kind of, that's kind of our, it's, it's polling essentially, right? Our uh, concurrency model is effectively polling. And that's where it gets tricky with working with concurrency models like Rector. And with that time slice, it again is is tricky. You've got you've got cores, but console cores are different than than um, than PC cores. And then you've got the low power CPUs, and it it's calm. It gets frustrating from that perspective. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so the concurrency models we have a good concurrency model for HTTP. Um, your rendering happens on a separate thread, so we have a dedicated thread for rendering to get as high as an FPS as you can. And then your simulation loop is executed on on another thread at 60 hertz. So we, we as best as we can, we guarantee that you're going to get 60 times a second, unless you're rendering 200,000 Perlin <laughs> noise noise things in in one in one frame. <laughs> that gets tricky. But our idea around concurrency is to is because MRuby is so light, taking more of an Erlang approach. And I think you'd appreciate this is that we can spin up an instance of that another instance of that runtime to act as like a, a, a worker, it could mm -hmm. ex execute a function, have its own tick, and then and then return the result as like a persistent hash back to back to the, the supervisor or parent or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. So because the because the runtime's so lightweight, we have we have an option of potentially having these like tiny concurrent workers that that roll back up to to a top level. We're just not we're just not there yet. And we're still exploring what that looks like. Okay. All right. So what do you think about that? It's like a happy accident, right? <laughs> and we so light. We could use it like this. You can spin up the entire runtime and it's totally fine. Execute that's, something and tear it down. That's it's really yeah, cool. well, I mean, that's I really like the the actor model of concurrency that like Elixir and Erlang mm -hmm. use. For me, like I briefly looked into threading with regard to Ruby or other languages. And I'm like, I don't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> yeah. Async await is difficult. Callbacks are. Yeah. Whereas tough. it's, it's just, 
the actor model of concurrency that Elixir and Erlang has is like, oh, this makes sense. Or I mean, it's it's much easier for my mind to get grasp and actually use compared mm -hmm. to so many of the other concurrent language structures I've worked with before. So yeah, and the really cool thing is that because the the way the tick function works, we know we know when all the runtimes have shut down effectively, right? If you're not in that time slice, we know you're not running. And that effectively makes us thread safe because there's no chance of something mutating the state while we're sharing or copying things over. So it kind of, it's nice. It's nice that we can guarantee that this is a point of snapshot where we could potentially persist rollback, share state, and and then bring bring everyone back up again to to operate on that new state. Chris had a mind blown. He's like, whoa, wait, so, hold on. So are you saying that you basically can't have race conditions or thread collisions if doing we it that way? We have a synchronization point that can that can avoid those kind of those kind of problems. Yep. Because all the virtual when you exit tick, we could we could potentially say, well, we we do it for a hot load. That's how hot load kind of works right now. Because huh. we save the GC arena and then append that state and it's available to you it's it's yeah because that you know the the race conditions and the the thread collisions is always why in the dot net world you just every time you heard the word thread you died a little inside yeah so, yeah it's it's hard to reason about it, it's really tough yeah so that's interesting to hear that this especially as fast as this is is running behind the scenes mm -hmm. can do that kind of collision avoidance um, and I'm kind of interested to to think that through some more and see what would happen, how I could utilize that generating three different Perlin maps at the same time. And hmm. yeah, so we don't we don't expose that concurrency model yet. It's baked into our HTTP layer. Right. You do have fibers, but if you keep your fibers separate and kind of you know treat each one of them as kind of like a uh, what's it called a, a call function, a command function, or an actor that mm -hmm. has its own tick, then you've positioned yourself to say, these could all operate on on these separate areas. And then your parent tick function could see, is are my threads finished? Are my are my child uh, child state objects finished? See, now that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's the innovation, right? It's, yeah. It's the things where you just, yeah. We're not there well, yet, but it's exciting. Yeah. Well, and you get, you know, when you're, depending on the type of game you build, that becomes important because if you're doing something where you've got a bunch of little autonomous pawns running around doing different things and they've got states and you've got, let's say, 20 of them, that's hard to get everything done in one tick. It will always be hard. Yeah. So always think about that. It will always be hard, unfortunately. And if you want determinism, you got to get that right. Yeah. But if you can That's separate, right? yeah. But if you can separate those people into different threads, and they're each running their own own lane of the highway as they go, that you can help. That's that's a big thing. Um, yep. But anyway, I, thank you so much, Amir. I've I've enjoyed the hell out of this, and uh, I would I, I've got a million other questions. But you guys go hang out in the Discord because I'm sure I'll be asking them in there. Um, and uh, let me know when on the Tuesday when you want to hack together, and I'm down. And yeah, we can I, do another sale during that time, too. I absolutely will reach out to you for that. And speaking of which, um, there's the uh, link again if you guys want to get a free copy of the Dragon Ruby um, engine. You go to this, download it through the weekend. It's free um, through through the generosity of Dragon Ruby and Amir, and we uh, hope you'll join us. Um, Please make sure to uh, come join me on Tuesdays at 3 p.m. for Coding with Chris, where I play with this stuff live and, and you know, end up looking like an idiot most of the time, but that's cool. Um, that, that's that's what I'm there for. Um, it's but, okay. I still roll my head on my keyboard. I, uh, <laughs> I've given up trying to look smart. I'm like, I'm an idiot. I just I just keep going. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's yeah, some, some days... Some days I wonder why I'm a programmer, um, but uh, but next week, next Thursday, we've got uh, Schwad coming to talk to us about hobby programming. You know, what do you do on the side when you're not making the money with it? How do you make that fun? 
Um, so that's next week's guest. Uh, Amir, thank you again for coming and joining us. Um, we really appreciate the work that you've done on Dragon Ruby. I, I certainly do. Um, it's a fun thing, and it's it's really kind of reinvigorating my love for programming. Um, yeah, you feel the magic again. Yeah, which is important for yeah. for season devs. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we will see you guys uh, Tuesday. I will see you Tuesday. We will see you again here next Thursday, um, three p.m. Eastern time on both days. Twitch or YouTube, you pick your poison. If you enjoyed this, please like, follow, subscribe. All those things are free. That makes us feel all loved. Um, so, you know, you'd be doing us a huge favor and putting smiles on our faces. Um, we will see you next time. And until then, happy programming. Happy programming.